This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. This podcast is sponsored by viewers like you on Patreon through PayPal donations with YouTube memberships and Twitch subscriptions. To support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member by clicking the join button underneath any one of our videos on YouTube. Members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly Zoom hangouts with Mike. Here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on The Humanist Report. Enjoy the show. Honorable representatives, your children and grandchildren will proudly tell their friends that their parent or grandparent helped to pass this law to protect their innocence. Honorable Senators, please protect our students and teachers from being forced to live in an alternative universe created by cultural confusion and adolescent fantasies. You just heard from Louisiana pastor turned politician John Raymond, who is running to represent District 104 of Louisiana. And the clips that you just watched were featured proudly on his campaign website. The first video was a testimony that he gave in support of a bill to ban LGBTQ plus books from school libraries under the pretense of quote unquote, protecting the innocence of children. And the second was a testimony that he gave in support of a bill that would mandate the dead naming of trans people in order to again, protect children. And there's Many more videos of him testifying in support of his state GOP's draconian theocratic policies, all in an effort to quote unquote protect children. So you're probably sensing a little bit of a theme here, right? This issue is very close to his heart, apparently, as a parent and headmaster of a Christian academy. Now, to be fair, there's more to John than just wanting to protect children from the LGBTQ plus boogeyman. He also owns a Christian radio station and has produced what he calls music videos, which I would highly encourage you to check out, by the way. And on top of that, he was the first castaway voted out of Survivor Thailand back in 2002. But the main takeaway that I want you to have about John, it's that he really, 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 really cares about protecting kids. That's not me editorializing. That's basically his mission. That's what he focuses primarily on with regards to his political activism. The problem is that kids don't need to be protected from LGBTQ plus people. They need to be protected from him because he's demonstrated multiple times that he literally poses a danger to children considering the fact that he's been charged with four counts of criminal cruelty towards juveniles. As LGBTQ Nation explains, he was arrested last year after he allegedly punished three students by taping their mouths shut. According to NOLA.com, Raymond wrapped packing tape around three 13-year-olds' heads for talking excessively in class. The students were sent back to class where another administrator who felt uncomfortable with the situation removed the tape. The students reportedly had trouble breathing and said that removing the tape was painful. Raymond turned himself into police after they obtained a warrant for his arrest and was charged with three counts of cruelty to juveniles. In a statement, Raymond accused students of quote-unquote bullying a teacher and said that all three were given the choice to either have their mouths taped shut or have him call their parents and be suspended. He denied that the tape was wrapped around their heads and said that it was removed 
removed within 10 minutes after the school's principal expressed concern. Raymond was arrested again in May of 2022, this time for allegedly holding a four-year-old boy upside down by the ankles. Raymond was accused of whipping the child's buttocks, and in a separate incident, he was accused of covering the boy's mouth and nose with his hand to stop a tantrum, according to the Lafayette Daily Advertiser. Witnesses said the boy could not breathe and went limp, remaining out of it and lethargic. So we're not talking about a one-off situation. He can't say, look, I lost my temper, I had a lapse in judgment, and I overreacted, because that would be bad in and of itself, right? But we are talking about an alleged serial child abuser here who poses a real danger to children that he's around seemingly all the time, given that he is the headmaster of a Christian academy. But yet in May, he told USA Today that he is completely innocent and called the allegations preposterous. But at the same time, in April, he released a statement after the story broke, admitting that he taped the boy's mouth shut. But it was only for 10 minutes. Like, we saw that in the article. But at the same time, we know that he's also lying about that because a local CBS affiliate stated that it was about 45 minutes. The arrest by Slidell police Thursday came after a complaint about March 18th school discipline he administered that was investigated by the Office of Children and Family Services. The police department said another administrator at the school had to cut the tape wrapped around the kids' heads after 45 minutes when they had trouble breathing. So the three boys allegedly had tape over their mouths for 45 minutes, not 10 minutes. And even if it were just 10 minutes, that still is completely unacceptable. But he put tapes over their heads, allegedly, sent them back to class, and they were probably humiliated. On top of that, they couldn't breathe, according to them. So this is serious. This is unacceptable. But the allegations are preposterous, even though, mm, yeah, I kind of put the tape on their heads. Uh, it was only for 10 minutes, though. Actually, I didn't put it over their heads. I put it over their mouths. I mean, look, he's full of shit. I don't believe him. I believe that he did do these things, and I think that most people in the community do as well. But when you consider that allegation from the three boys, along with the other allegations that we heard of, right, physically assaulting these children, he'd go to jail if he did that to an adult, but he spanked them. He held a four-year-old upside down, allegedly, by the ankles and nearly suffocated a kid to stop a tantrum. I mean, it's evident that this man is a clear danger to children and should not be around any child. But yet, this man wants you to believe that he cares about protecting children, and it's his number one issue. Yeah, kids don't need to be protected from LGBTQ plus people, John. They need to be protected from abusers like you, alleged abusers, I should say. So, once again, we have another instance where an accusation from a Republican politician turns out to be a confession, because as we all know, every accusation is a confession. Everything that they say about other groups of people is usually them projecting because they're the ones who pose the danger that they say queer people pose to children. But I mean, the hypocrisy doesn't just stop there. At the time that he was arrested and charged with child cruelty, he was also a member of the executive committee for the Louisiana Republican Party. He's well known in right-wing circles in his state. Now, he's currently running to be a state representative and was formerly officially connected to the GOP in the state. So the question is, what was their response to all of this, right? Because the bills that he testified in, su in support of that you watched at the beginning of this video, those were all pieces of legislation that the state Republican Party sponsored. 
meaning that they also have made protecting children from LGBTQ plus people in particular one of their main priorities. So the question is, what are they going to do? I mean, naturally, it seems like their only option is to denounce and distance themselves from this man since he was literally charged with child cruelty. So that way, I don't know, people believe them when they say they care about protecting children. But that's not what happened. They have not distanced themselves from him. In fact, the state party has endorsed his campaign. I am not making this up. At the top of his website, you can see the state party's emblem and an image that says that he was endorsed by the Louisiana Republican Party. So I just wanna pause right there to take this all in. The Republican Party of Louisiana, who has dedicated a lot of time on the taxpayers' dollars, mind you, to protecting children, is choosing to endorse somebody who is charged with child cruelty. Make it make sense because it doesn't. Now, to make matters even worse, it's not like this was the only choice and there was nobody else in the race. There was another Republican in the race that they could have endorsed instead, but they didn't do that. Even though if you go to the opponent's website, the opponent of John Raymond, to be clear, it's one of the first things you see when you look at his issues page is that he wants to protect children. So the state party literally has another option who says clearly that I too want to protect children, presumably from the LGBTQ plus boogeyman. And the Louisiana Republican Party said, mm, sorry, man, we're going to go with the guy who was charged with child cruelty instead. It just is so outrageous that you have to assume this is a mistake, right? Perhaps he took it upon himself to pretend like he was endorsed and he put that on his website when they didn't actually endorse him. This wouldn't be the first time that this has happened, right? We've seen politicians in the past pretend like they were endorsed or imply heavily that they were endorsed when they didn't actually get that endorsement. So perhaps he is lying or he assumed that they would endorse him since he has a longtime association with the party. But no, that's not actually right either. The Shreveport Times reached out to the state Republican Party and asked them, did you really endorse the alleged child abuser after your whole thing has been protecting kids? And the response was, yeah. Of course we did. They explain Louisiana Republican Party Chairman Louis Gervich confirmed in a text that the executive committee endorsed Raymond. Raymond's opponent in the race for the House District 104 seat, fellow Republican Jay Gall of Manville, said he was shocked by the endorsement. I bet. As a lifelong Republican, it's an embarrassment, said Gall, while acknowledging Raymond's right to the presumption of innocence. Quote, the party puts itself out there as a protector of children, said Gall, a former Marine and businessman who now manages his family's real estate portfolio. Quote, I can't express how disappointed I am that the Louisiana Republican Party has chosen to endorse a candidate with not one, not two, not three, but four criminal charges of cruelty to children. And I mean, yeah, Jay's right. But uh, Jay, you might not have child abuse charges against you, but uh, were you on Survivor though? Because we kind of want to go with the guy who was on Survivor. Maybe the uh, Louisiana Republican Party is just CBS reality show diehards and they just they're like nope that guy he was on Survivor so we want that clout I guess it's going to help us with the younger demographics the kids who are still watching Survivor in 2023. <laughs>
I mean, I, I don't know what to say. I would say that this is extremely embarrassing, not just for the Louisiana Republican Party, but Republicans everywhere. But I mean, that point is moot because this party doesn't have the capacity to feel shame. So, of course, they're not going to be embarrassed by something that is incredibly hypocritical. Oh, and one more thing. The district leans heavily towards Republicans and there's no incumbent, so he's probably actually going to win. Yeah. Now, John Raymond has previously stated that he doesn't actually think the charges are going to interfere with his campaign, and so far he's been proven correct. So, uh, yeah, there you have it. This is the modern Republican Party in a nutshell. They are so concerned about protecting kids that they're going to endorse a man literally charged with four counts of child cruelty to demonstrate that they're really dedicated to protecting ch children. I mean, Jesus Christ, it feels like this is a parody, but nope, it's just the modern day Republican Party, folks. Can a man become a woman? Um, <laughs> in my opinion, you have a man, you have a woman. I, 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 think, I think part of it is birth. Can the man give birth? No, no, although they'll come up with some answer to that also someday. <laughs> I heard just the other day, they have a way that now the man can give birth. No, I would say uh, uh, I'll continue my stance on that. You just watched a quick snippet from Megyn Kelly's hour-long interview with Donald Trump. And the question that she asked him there might seem straightforward, but it's actually not. It's a really loaded question, and the implications of his answer are important. Because if he answers no, then he is essentially buying into the premise that trans people aren't real and they're illegitimate, which means that they're not entitled to civil rights or equal treatment like the rest of us. Therefore, politically persecuting them is justifiable and even warranted. So what he says here matters. But as you saw, Trump really didn't give a straight answer, and Megyn Kelly was not too happy about that, apparently, because in an episode of Glenn Beck's show, she responded and said that uh, she thought his answer there was a uh, weak sauce. What was your takeaway? Because he never really answered it, but he did shake his head no towards the beginning. What's your takeaway from that? Well, I thought it was weak sauce. He, I really wish he, he did better on that. I like Ron DeSantis' answer, I'm going to be honest, which is no. No, right. No, right. no, obviously no. And it's not determined based on who can give birth. It's, <laughs> it's determined by God. And it's pretty obvious just as soon as you come out of the womb. That's the way it's always been. That's the way it continues to be, notwithstanding this weird agenda by some activists in this crazy trans agenda pushing cult. Um, so Trump clearly knows that. I don't know if he's got if he's trying to like appease some group of trans voters that he thinks is going to make the difference with him. Even when I had Don Jr. on my show, he was kind of dancing around this issue. I, I think that they think they're somehow going to do better with Democrats if they don't hit this straight on, even though, I mean, 98% of the Republican party is united on this issue. This is not, it is not a winner for any Republican to hedge on this. Um, just ask Asa Hutchinson. Interesting. Now, she says that Trump's answer is weak sauce because everyone just knows that gender is determined by God. I mean, obviously, idiot, we all know this. I mean, if you happen to be an atheist or 
intersects, then I guess she doesn't have an answer for you. But either way, just accept what she's saying. Don't question it. God is the one who chooses whether or not we're male or female. And that's it. That's the end of the story. Except, no, that's not the case. But still, she claims that it's more politically savvy if you just say no, as Ron DeSantis did. The problem with that is... Trump is ahead of DeSantis, so even if he is quote-unquote worse on the trans issue, and trust me, he's very transphobic, he makes that abundantly clear during this interview, and we'll get to that, but even if Trump is worse in her eyes on this issue, then how does she explain him being ahead? Well, it's because she doesn't actually care about the politics and what is or isn't going to work for Donald Trump. She's an influencer now, so a grifter cares about one thing and one thing only, views and clicks. That's two things, but you get what I'm saying. It's the same thing pretty much, right? She just wants to farm negative engagement, right? So by being outrageously anti-trans, that's going to benefit her viewers. But politically speaking, not necessarily. This might be her number one issue because it gets her the most clicks. But I mean, in a GOP primary, they have to speak to actual voters and not just people on the Internet. And so while most Republican voters probably support genocide against trans people, and maybe that's like priority number one for Megyn Kelly, maybe it's priority number eight or nine for GOP voters. And if that wasn't the case, then wouldn't DeSantis be ahead? So just when it comes to the practicality of being super anti-trans, She's just not correct, even as it relates to a GOP primary, and I think that she's demonstrating that. But what she didn't talk about and what you didn't see was the four minutes of conversation leading up to that question, because Trump made it very clear that he also hates trans people, and if he's elected again, he is going to go after trans people, despite his wishy-washy answer on the trans question. I'm the one that wouldn't allow it in the military. That was a big move. I wouldn't allow it in the military. Should biological men who say that they're trans be allowed in women's restrooms and women's locker rooms, women's prisons, women's spaces. Yeah, uh, my, my stance on that is really pretty much uh, what I had in the military. Uh, I think it so has no. to be, huh? No, so yeah. you shouldn't. Yeah, I, that's my stance. I mean, that's been my stance. Would you, so would you be in favor of a ban then on puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones for minors? I, I think yes, 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 yep. I would. Yeah. So the additional context makes it so much worse because he said all of that. He affirmed support for policies that will literally lead to trans people killing themselves. Yet she still thinks that he's not sufficiently anti-trans enough for her. It's outrageous. You can never be extreme enough for these conservative influencers. But there's a reason for that. The reason why she refuses to take yes for an answer is because she knows extreme transphobia gets you more views and clicks on YouTube. Right. Nobody paid attention to Michael Knowles until he called for the eradication of trans people. And then all of a sudden he's making headlines again. Negative engagement farming works. It does wonders for you, algorithmically speaking. They know this. And as a result, we're seeing this race to the bottom where influencers compete to say the most outrageous things imaginable in order to garner the most attention. It's why we see just pearly things say that women shouldn't vote. Or gay people say that uh, actually homophobia is fine and trans people say that transphobia is fine, right? And these political influencers who don't actually believe what they're saying, they're trying to now pressure politicians to adopt their same views at the behest of their audiences, right? But when it comes to LGBTQ plus rights, that's already happened. They, they won here. Right. But what really struck me about Megyn Kelly's interview with Donald Trump is how extreme she looked 
compared to Donald Trump. I mean, in 2016, she looked normal compared to Donald Trump. But now that she's in this space, not on Fox News, now that she has to think about views and clicks and engagement, now she looks more extreme. She is pushed to be more extreme. That's what being an influencer does to a person. But let me show you what I mean by that. So she grilled Trump in one particular area where I think he's actually the most reasonable. COVID vaccines. And sure, he's reasonable on this issue specifically for self-interested reasons because he wants credit for saving millions of lives with the COVID-19 vaccines. But I mean, I don't care how he arrived at this issue. He's on the right side of this issue. He's not anti-COVID vaccine, and that's good. But Megyn Kelly tries to get him to say the COVID vaccines are bad, actually. And to an extent, he capitulates. But let me ask you this, because this is the number one question I ask my audience. What would you like me to ask President Trump? Okay. These are your fans. Okay. This is the number one question they wanted me to ask you, that you shut the country down for six weeks in spring of 2020. Operation Warp Speed. Excuse me. Rush right? through. I didn't really. Well, let, me, let, me, I, let me ask no, their question. No, no, but Megan. This I is my let, audience's I question. The, I got to get I know, it out. But I let the governors shut down. Some did and some didn't. Okay. Some didn't shut down at Operation all. Warp Speed, though. Yeah. That was on the vaccines. They were rushed through. They have helped but also hurt a lot of people. And your White House actually supported mask mandates. So... Wouldn't you like a do-over on any of that? Look, when this came in, nobody knew what the hell it was. It sounded like an ancient, you know, pandemic. You thought that was from 200 years ago or from 1917. We never thought you'd have a pandemic. Nobody had any idea. As far as the vaccine's concerned, uh, you had the original COVID. And the vaccine had an impact on that. And mm -hmm. there are some people, I will tell you, some friends of mine that are Democrat, I think they voted for me, but they're Democrat, very smart people, top people. They say, you know, I don't understand one thing. Why don't you talk more about the vaccine? It was one of the greatest things you've ever done. Now think of that. They say to me and I say, I'm not gonna talk about it one way or the other. First of all, no mandates. I don't want mandates. I never had mandates. Florida sort of had a mandate because they were giving the vaccine. They were demanding everybody take the vaccine. That's another thing. But no mandates, no anything. I didn't demand anybody take it. But I have people on the other side. I don't, not my side, although probably there are some on my side too. They said, you saved 100 million people because I got it done in nine months as opposed to five years to 12 years. A lot of people- You're proud of it. No, I'm not proud of it. I'm saying what Democrats think. Democrats- you, I get it. I mean, and I'm not, and I'm I'm not, not somebody I'm who not, denies some of the good yeah, that the vaccines yeah. did. I, I lived through that too. But yeah. of course, a lot of people have been vaccine injured. And that's one of the questions. Those people are mad that they were rushed through and that they can't sue. Now, if you're feeling a little bit of deja vu, well, it might be because just a couple of weeks ago, we watched Jimmy Dore interview Cornell West, and he tried to get him to talk about the COVID vaccines being bad because that's what his audience wants to see. And he thinks that's going to translate into a winning political message for a leftist candidate. Isn't that bizarre? But I mean, more and more, we are seeing audience captured influencers push politicians to the right. And what I hate is that it's working. It might not work on Cornell West, but you can see that it is working on Donald Trump. The tail is wagging the dog, right? Megyn Kelly knows her audience will be pissed if she doesn't sufficiently push back. That was the number one question they wanted to know. So she tried to pretend as if this is some huge issue, even though she tacitly admits she knows it, right? She knows that it's a vocal minority of online conspiracy theorists who want her to pretend like the vaccine is bad, and Trump knows that as well. But they all have to play pretend for views and clicks. Now, to be clear, Trump's handling of the COVID-19 pandemic 
was atrocious. Like two weeks into the pandemic, if even two weeks, we were already seeing Republicans and him talk about sacrificing old people to the gods of capitalism so we could reopen, right? But he does deserve credit for the vaccines, at least partial credit because of Operation Warp Speed. And he's right to want to take credit for it because the vaccines were good, right? But he can't. So it leads to bizarre exchanges where he says that the vaccines saved lives, but yet he's not proud of the vaccines because that's what he has to do, right? Even Trump, who sets the agenda, is capitulating. I mean, what we're seeing are grifters like Megyn Kelly and Jimmy Dore set standards for politicians, right? And I get that the media, traditionally speaking, has always had agenda-setting power, but these grifters are simply proxies for their audiences so like the dumbest people online are having a substantial impact on political discourse and politicians and it's worrying to say the least to put it mildly right but even though they're profiting off of vaccine misinformation uh that still comes at a cost that cost is hundreds of thousands of preventable deaths from people who were told they didn't need the vaccine because they've got ivermectin instead and that'll treat it and this isn't just conjecture there's evidence that party affiliation is literally linked to excess covid 19 deaths but to bring it back to trump here i think that he knows that he can't be as extreme as people like Vivek Ramaswamy or Ron DeSantis. So he has to play along because at this point in time, I mean, he's not just speaking to GOP primary voters, the most extreme voters in the country. He is forced to talk to centrists as well, because let's face it, he's going to be the nominee at this point in time. It looks as if he's going to be the GOP nominee. So simply pandering to the furthest right of the GOP's base is not going to pay off for him. And he knows that. And at least on some policies, it's kind of forced him to pander to moderates more, which is a good thing. Take abortion, for example. This is what he said in, the in, in an interview on NBC News, and I was actually surprised. He's hinted that Republicans were kind of fucking up when it came to abortion and not so many words. But what he says here is uh, good. He attacks DeSantis from the left on the issue of abortion. 92% of the Democrats don't want to see abortion after a certain period of time if a federal ban landed on your desk if you were re-elected would you sign it at 15 are you talking about a complete ban a ban at 15 weeks well people people are starting to think of 15 weeks that seems to be a number that people are talking about right now would you sign that uh, uh, i would i would sit down with both sides and i'd negotiate something and we'll end up with peace on that issue for the first time in 52 years uh, i'm not going to say i would or i wouldn't i mean DeSantis is willing to sign a five-week and six-week ban would you support that you think I, that i goes think what he far? did is a terrible thing and a terrible mistake your ears are not deceiving you, my friends. You just heard far-right demagogue Donald Trump say that he's going to talk to both sides when it comes to the issue of abortion, which is contradictory, right? And this tap dance is very bizarre because on one hand, he is capitulating so he doesn't piss off his far-right base, but at the same time, he's very clearly forced to pander to the middle when it comes to the issue of abortion because he's previously noted that the extremism on this issue has hurt Republicans, right? But I mean, if you pivot on this issue, you're going to piss off the far right. So why does he choose to capitulate on vaccines and not this? I mean, it, it's it's weird. I don't think he's really thinking that deeply about this, to be clear. 
But I mean, there's a more important point that I want to make after watching all of these interviews, because regardless if the grifters think that he's sufficiently anti-trans or anti-vax or anti-abortion, I mean, we all know that the policies are going to be extremely harmful regardless. So it doesn't really matter the degree to which he's anti-trans or anti-vax. We know it's going to be very, very bad. And I think that a second Trump term is going to be undoubtedly worse than his first term. And this growing thirst for more extremist policies is not going to go away anytime soon. But even if he somehow manages to lose the primary, which I just can't fathom at this moment, but if it happens, I mean, Project 2025 has taught us that we don't need to parse out the differences between him or DeSantis and Mike Pence, because regardless of who wins, we're going to get extremism. Extremism on trans rights, extremism on abortion, extremism on corporate supremacy, and this demand for extremism that we're seeing from the right is going to give the next Republican president the confidence that he needs to roll with an iron fist. Lauren Boebert is not one known for reaching across the aisle um, in the Congress, but there was some of that here with her male companion. A lot of, um, uh, let's say they were handsy in their behavior. Um. As I'm sure many of you have heard by now, Lauren Boebert is facing criticism after she was kicked out of a theater in Denver for vaping and jerking off her date. And since we learned about her perverted, dare I say groomer-like behavior, she's faced quite a bit of backlash expectedly. But one thing that I did not anticipate was fallout from fellow conservatives who are also criticizing her, primarily conservative women who have a lot to say about this. But before we get to that, let's catch everyone up to speed who hasn't been following this amazing story. The Denver Post reports, U.S. Representative Lauren Boebert was escorted out of a Sunday night performance of the Beetlejuice musical in downtown Denver, accused by venue officials of vaping, singing, recording, and causing a disturbance during the performance and jerking off her date. The incident report states that after receiving the intermission warning about five minutes into the second act, security officials received another complaint about the patron being loud and at the time they were recording taking pictures or recording is not permitted at shows the report quotes one of the ushers quote they told me they would not leave i told them that they need to leave the theater and if they do not they will be trespassing the patrons said they would not leave i told them i would be going to get denver police they said go get them the report said after the two patrons were escorted out and reached the building's vestibule they resisted leaving and said stuff like do you know who i am i am on the board and i will be contacting the mayor now i for one am not surprised at all that her first instinct was to go full karen when she was being escorted out she also reportedly flipped off the usher who was making her leave and i think it's really bold of her to throw out a do you know who i am when you might want to downplay who you are in this situation after you were escorted out because you were literally publicly jerking off your date the audacity of people like Lauren Boebert. But as she said all of this, she seemingly wasn't aware of the fact that there was security cameras. And on top of that, they caught her in the act, in the dark. She didn't think that they could see what she was doing with her partner, but they saw everything. But 
before she realized that this was the case, this was the patronizing response that her campaign manager, Drew Sexton, put out. Now, first of all, he denied that she was vaping, but she was. It was captured on camera, as I stated, and she was doing it in front of a pregnant woman who asked her to stop to make matters worse. But she claims that she was kicked out because she took pictures and was unaware that she couldn't do that. Now, she literally had her camera flash on. And as someone who's only been to like two plays throughout my entire life, even I know that flash photography is never permitted at these plays. So again, this was the response, keep in mind, before they knew about the security camera footage. They were incredibly arrogant. Quote, I can confirm the stunning and salacious rumors. In her personal time, Congresswoman Lauren Boebert is indeed a supporter of the performing arts, gasp, and to the dismay of a select few, enthusiastically enjoyed a weekend performance of Beetlejuice, Sexton wrote in a statement. Now, seeing how cocky they are is very important because you're going to see the response completely change once they learn that everything was caught on tape everything but before we get to that this is what bobert said in response in an interview with uh newsmax or oan one of the far right networks but here's what she said kevin mccarthy the speaker of the house announced an impeachment inquiry yesterday uh we're facing a government shutdown and and trying to fund the federal government we have a wide open southern border we have uh Zelensky threatening to send uh refugees here and what's the top story lauren bobert getting kicked out of the beautiful theater in denver colorado it's what the media TV does <laughs> it's what the media does so yes, what, it is. what what, what went what down? Do. You know, um, I was a little too uh, eccentric. I I am I'm very known for having uh, a, a animated personality, uh, maybe overtly animated Me personality. I was laughing. I was singing, having a fantastic time. Was told to kind of settle it down a little bit, uh, which I did. But then uh, my next slip up was uh, taking a picture of right. Uh, the, you can't the take cast any images of the play. I've done it too. I've snuck them. Right. So you got thrown out because you took a pick and you weren't supposed to. But you know That's what? Right. Here's my whole but thing. There was no arguing. There's reports saying that I was arguing, threatening to call the Denver mayor. I don't know why I would ever call the Denver mayor. I think he would have tried to lock me up. Yeah. Um, there reports saying I was on the board of something. I don't know what I'm on the board of. Uh, I'm on the edge of a lot of things, let me tell you. Uh, but <laughs> well, probably the people that complain. Here's what I'm thinking. You're in Denver, Lauren. It's very liberal. The people that complained to the ushers that you were being noisy could have recognized you and been like, oh, I think that's that MAGA girl. Yeah, exactly. You know how they are. I get it. Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, I think you explained it well enough and the mainstream media can take a fly in. <clears throat> so they're actually going with the conservative victim complex narrative. How predictable. I mean, this is what they do now, right? Even with Russell Brand, who was credibly accused of rape with evidence by four different women. Well, it's because he's a conservative and he's being targeted because he got a little bit too close to the truth. They will always use this card because they refuse to be held accountable and own up to the things that they do, even if they are egregious. But she contradicted herself because she admitted that she was animated and she was told to settle down. But... She's also being targeted because she, she's a conservative, apparently. Okay. She also admits to uh, sneaking a photo, even though her campaign manager said that she wasn't aware that you couldn't. But she said that she snuck a photo, which implies that she knew she wasn't supposed to do that. But the problem is that even with all of these contradictions and the lies, she was caught in 4K. And I can't play the video for you, obviously, because it would violate YouTube's terms of use. But here's a censored screenshot of her partner caressing her breast while she rubs his pecker. And I can't help but wonder, since the play was open to children ages 10 and up, were they around any children?
Did any kids see her and her partner engage in this inappropriate sexual behavior and were thus groomed and sexualized by Lauren Boebert? And the reason why I'm asking this very important question is because Boebert herself is someone who is very sensitive to what children are exposed to and even accused the left of grooming children over LGBTQ plus inclusive flashcards. So in theory, and by her own standards, her and her date potentially groping each other in front of children is significantly worse than flashcards, is it not? So, I mean, does this make her a predator? Imagine what she'd say if a gay couple was caught doing this. And to be clear, it's bad when anyone does it. You shouldn't be doing this in public. But this is somebody who implied that leftists were pedophiles for simply, I guess, supporting LGBTQ inclusive flashcards or not being offended by them. So, I mean, for her of all people to do this. It confirms once again that every fucking accusation is a confession by these people. And we already knew this about Boebert specifically before this quote unquote incident. When she was dating her ex-husband, she justified him exposing himself to a minor by claiming that she begged for it. So going forward, anyone who calls LGBTQ plus people groomers and pedophiles for simply existing in public around kids, they're the ones that we should look into first because nine times out of 10, they're projecting and they're the ones who are doing what they say everyone else is doing. But after after the tapes were released well she was forced to humble herself because what are you gonna do you're gonna claim that this was cg or something i mean you're not that important to have all of this effort just to smear you so here's her new statement per the new york times quote the past few days have been difficult and humbling and i'm truly sorry for the unwanted attention my sunday evening in denver has brought to the community miss bobert said in a statement friday night while none of my actions or words as a private citizen that night were intended to be malicious or meant to cause harm the reality is they did and i regret that wow a conservative admitting that they were wrong but wait for it miss bobert who can be seen on the video touching and carrying on with her date while sitting in the middle of a crowded theater, blamed what she called her public and difficult divorce for her behavior and said, I simply fell short of my values on Sunday. Oh, is that so? Miss Bobert, a mother of four boys who likes to show off pictures of her new grandchild to colleagues in Congress, said she genuinely did not recall vaping that evening. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. When she told her campaign to issue a statement denying she had done so, she said she would have to work hard to earn back trust from voters in her district. Yeah, but I mean, Bobo, there's nothing to be sorry about. I'm sure that plenty of people deal with difficult divorces by jerking off their partners in public. So, I mean, perfectly understandable, perfectly normal response. Very, very, very reasonable. I can't with these fucking people, I swear to God. Now, her excuse for lying, I, I just, I can't get over this, is that she, quote unquote, genuinely did not recall vaping. That's what we're going with? Really? I mean, I get that you're embarrassed, but just for a moment, just respond as... A human would right just say look i lied because i was really embarrassed i was humiliated and you know it wasn't my best moment so that's why i said i didn't vape when i did but she can't help herself no i genuinely did not recall vaping i just what do you say about these folks right now this story is surprising not in the sense that lauren bobert acted like a trashy buffoon in public because that we all expect from her but it's surprising in the sense that she may have actually believe it or not done something that is indefensible to conservatives because conservatives aren't just not coming to her defense here but to the contrary they're dragging her specifically conservative women who are also christian who thinks that her behavior, 
her antics, they're making the entire movement look bad. For example, Megan McCain wrote on Twitter, Lauren Boebert is trash. She lectures everyone about the LGBT community being a threat to children while getting caught performing a lewd sex act in a public theater where children possibly were. This is family values. This is why people think the GOP are all hypocrites. Correct. And Coulter chimed in saying that she is a totally embarrassing bimbo. Also indicted former attorney Jenna Ellis called her behavior embarrassing and disrespectful and added, good grief Republicans do better. Congress shouldn't be a frat house any more than it should be a retirement community and she also pointed out the hypocrisy of Bobert tweeting to take your children to church not drag bars when the man she groped is the owner of a gay friendly bar that also hosts drag shows which is true by the way so by her own logic i guess she was giving a hand job to a groomer i wonder if she allows him around her children also ellis made the point that this behavior is bad because conservatives like Bobert and gnome claim to be christians yet aren't behaving as such and that's true and a reference to revelations that self-proclaimed christian and south Dakota Governor Kristi Noem has been having an extramarital affair with Corey Lewandowski since 2019. And that's a really good point. So if you're serious about Christianity and quote unquote family values, then ask yourself why these people always turn out to be hypocrites. Do a little bit of introspection and try to understand why these people make you all look so bad before you try to impose your will on everyone else because maybe you should get your own house in order first and live by your principles, have people in your movement live by the principles that you espouse before trying to force everyone else to align with your Christian nationalist views. But back to the response here, I actually never thought that I would say this and it makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable admitting this, but Megan McCain and Coulter and Jenna Ellis are all 100% correct simultaneously. Very, very weird world that we're living in here. But since Lauren Boebert is one of the loudest crusaders against LGBTQ grooming, I mean, it really demonstrates that these people, they have no values. They never cared about anything but demonizing queer people. And for those who've been paying attention, this isn't surprising, right? And the problem is that she's already on thin ice with her constituents, but this is probably gonna make things a lot worse because an August poll by Keating Research found that she is narrowly trailing her Democratic opponent, Adam Frisch. And to make matters even worse, 53% of her own constituents hold a negative view of her compared to 42% view her favorably. I wonder how much that's gonna change now that she was caught jerking off her partner in public. Now, keep in mind that she won her last election by just 551 votes. So I say, uh, good, keep it up. Keep exposing yourself, Lauren Bober, to your constituents, figuratively, not literally, by the way, and continue to act like a buffoon in public because you are digging your own political grave at this point. And I applaud you for it. Keep doing it. When you have the most pro-union president and he touts that he is um, emboldening the unions, this is what you get. The first bill he passed, y'all remember the $1.9 trillion COVID relief package? Yeah. It only had 1% for COVID vaccines. It had $86 billion, I believe, for union pensions. These strikes, these UAW strikes, again, are just part of a broader whole picture here, which is that the unions have paid off Joe Biden and the Democratic Party for literally decades on end. And finally, they got their man in the White House, the most pro-union president since Barack Obama, and probably pro more, more pro-union even than Barack Obama, who's too elitist. Joe Biden has been in the pocket of the union since day one in Wilmington, Delaware. Well, now all of these unions are seeing their moment to shine.
oh no, corporations might have to compensate their workers more fairly now that the most pro-union president has emboldened them. Boo-hoo, so sad. It's almost unbelievable to hear them say that. Because what these bootlickers don't realize is that they are campaigning for Biden when they say things like that, when they attack him like that. And what they're saying now is either bound to bite them in the ass or help Biden. But it's just a symptom of being rich and out of touch and not knowing how normal people will respond to what you're saying. Now, when Marjorie Taylor Greene, another out of touch elite, attacked Joe Biden for doing things that are objectively good, I think, the White House, to their credit, was quick to capitalize on what she said and turned that attack into an ad. Joe Biden had the largest public investment in social infrastructure and environmental programs that is actually finishing what FDR started, that LBJ expanded on, and Joe Biden is attempting to complete programs to address education, medical care, urban problems, rural poverty, transportation, Medicare, Medicaid, labor unions. And he still is working on it. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if the White House did the same thing with what Tim Scott and Nikki Haley are saying and even Ben Shapiro. When you have a president that's constantly saying, go union, go union. This is what you get. The unions get emboldened and then they start asking for things. The first bill he passed that 86 billion dollars for union pensions. This president clearly does prioritize union jobs. And he's made very clear here that union workers deserve more, that their pay increases have not come close to the success and the money that all of these auto companies have enjoyed. But I want to dive into this issue a little bit further because these Republicans who bet against unions in favor of large multinational corporations are doing so at their own peril, and they don't even realize it. Because a morning consult poll finds that 75% of Americans support the United Auto Workers strike, while a Reuters poll found that 58% support the strike, including a plurality of Republicans at 48%. And when it comes to the actors and writers strike, 60% of the country supports it. Now, there's two types of Republicans those who are anti-union and anti-labor and admit it, and those who are anti-union and anti-labor who don't admit it. But make no mistake about it, all Republicans are anti-union and anti-labor, and some of them are so dumb that they not only attack Biden for being too pro-union, but they attack the striking workers themselves. So let's go back to the comments made by Nikki Haley and Tim Scott in particular. First, let's look at Nikki Haley. When you have the most pro-union president and he touts that he is um, emboldening the unions, this is what you get. And I'll tell you who pays for it is the taxpayers. You know, here, from what I understand, the union is asking for a 40% raise. Um, you know, the companies have come back with a 20% raise. I think any of the taxpayers would would love to have a 20% raise and think that's great. But, you know, the problem is this is going to, we're all going to suffer from this. This is going to cost things to go up. And, you know, this is going to last a while. But, you know, when you have a president that's constantly saying, go union, go union, this is what you get. The unions get emboldened and then they start asking for things that, you know, that companies have a tough time doing. Yeah. Now I know what you're probably thinking. 
it's insane for her to suggest that the workers are the ones being unreasonable and asking for wages companies can't afford, considering the amount of money that the companies that they work for spend on stock buybacks, and not to mention CEO salaries. Because as USA Today reports, when it comes to compensation for CEOs of these companies, GM's Mary Barra makes $29 million. That's $21 million for Ford's Jim Farley and $24.8 million for Stellantis in 2022, as the Free Press recently noted they weren't even the highest payout to an individual last year at the companies. The honor appears to go to Mike Manley, the former head of Fiat Chrysler Automobiles, who pocketed $54.1 million as part of an agreement inked before the 2021 merger that created Stellantis from FCA and Puget Maker PSA Group. But yet, according to Nikki Haley, it's the workers who are being a little bit too greedy, asking for a bit too much when these companies were so kind to offer them 20%. Except that 40% pay increase that the union is asking for is in line with the 40% pay increase that the CEOs got. They're simply asking for their pay to rise at the same percent as their CEO's salary did. But Nikki Haley thinks they're being too unreasonable and it's going to cost the taxpayers. No, it's not. It's going to cost the company. And it should. If your employees make you profits and that profit goes higher and higher each year, why should they not be allowed the same pay increase that the CEO gets? It's just, it's it's shocking that she would say this on national television. This is such a scandalous thing to say that I think it's worse than Mitt Romney's 47 or 48% comment that he said behind closed doors. But Nikki Haley is so out of touch that she's saying this out in the open. Now, to his credit, Neil Cavuto, who was interviewing her, actually brought up this level of greed from CEOs. But rather than addressing it, she goes on to proudly admit that uh, she's a union buster. I'm not making this up. This president clearly does prioritize union jobs. Um, and he's made very clear here that union workers deserve more, that their pay increases have not come close to the success and the money that all of these auto companies have enjoyed. What do you what do you say to that? Well, I'll tell you in South Carolina as governor, I mean, we were building planes with Boeing. We were building more BMWs than any place in the world. I recruited Mercedes Benz. I recruited Volvo. We had five international tire companies, but I was a union buster. I didn't want to bring in companies that were unionized simply because I didn't want to have that change the environment in our state. Well, Neil, don't want to say anything about corporate greed, but I will tell you this. I'm a union buster straight from the horse's mouth. Unbelievable. Now, the reason why she is a union buster is pretty obvious. It's because her corporate donors know that collective bargaining inhibits their ability to further exploit their workers, and she's operating at their behest, not the behest of the people who she wants to represent. So, I mean, the attacks right themselves. She's calling Joe Biden pro-union while simultaneously calling herself a union buster. It's just incredible to see. But if you keep watching, Nikki Haley goes on to pretend to care about workers' rights, uh, but she uses anti-union talking points straight from corporations, predictably, to make it seem as if workers are actually better off without unions, which is obviously not true. But if that were the case, don't you think that these corporations wouldn't be fighting so vociferously against unions? But I mean, the point is that she at least pretends that she cares about the workers. There's at least that level of self-awareness there. When it comes to Tim Scott, however, his answer was much more blunt. Fuck the workers. 
Listen. I think Ronald Reagan gave us a Ronald Reagan gave us a great example when federal employees decided they were going to strike. He said, "You strike, you're fired." Simple concept to me. To the extent that we could use that once again, absolutely. I mean, it doesn't get any more clear than that. There's nothing that I can say to add to that. He's just saying what he thinks, and what he thinks is that these workers shouldn't be allowed to demand better pay better treatment, just fire him, fuck him. Unbelievable. Now, in a different event, he actually suggested with a straight face that this whole thing, it's not really about better compensation and better working conditions. The workers are just lazy. That's what he actually insinuated. And we're watching today uh, on every screen around the country, we're seeing the, the UAW uh, fight for more benefits and less hours working, more pay, and fewer days on the job. It's, it's, it's a disconnect from work. And we have to find a way to encourage and inspire people to go back to work. Yeah, that's the real problem. It's not that these workers are being overworked and underpaid. It's that they're lazy and they want to get paid more for less work. Now, it's incredibly ironic for him to say that, considering that senators are only scheduled to meet for 154 days this year, as Parker Malloy points out. But I mean, this goes back to them being out of touch. You can lie to the American people about a lot of things, and we are heavily propagandized and brainwashed. But one thing that you can't lie to them about is their own lives, right? You can't convince them that they don't work hard enough or that they're fairly compensated, right? And that their employers are treating them well. They can see that that's demonstrably untrue. So you can't lie to them about that. So by trying to pretend as if that is indeed the case when it's not, you're only hurting your own campaign. And for the first time in our generation, workers are finally standing up and taking their power back while Republicans are trying to dismantle the rights that the last generation fought for and won. An example is child labor laws. As more and more workers demand rights, Republican-led states are responding by bringing back child labor because obviously kids are easier to exploit. So why wouldn't they do that? That's what they think about you. That's how they respond. Rather than paying you fairly, they'd rather allow these corporations to hire your children so they can exploit your kids because your kids aren't really going to think about fair pay or compensation. Pay them, I don't know, eight, ten bucks an hour and they're going to think this is awesome. It's just, it's wild. It couldn't be more clear where this party stands. They're with the corporate CEOs and the bosses, and they're actively trying to squash labor movements. They're against you, and they're telling you that. And to be clear, I do think that when it comes to the Biden administration, he should be doing more. He's done a lot, but there's always more to do. I think that he should have fought harder for the PRO Act. He does need to join UAW workers on the picket line for sure. And I think that him shutting down the railroad worker strike will be a stain on his legacy forever. It was embarrassing. It was horrible. But having said that, though, he has absolutely made a positive difference. And I think that that's undeniable at this point. And of all people, Ben Shapiro correctly explained why the Biden Biden administration has been so effective. It all comes down to the NLRB. Maybe part of that is because you actually appointed a union man, head of your labor department, and your National Labor Relations Board, an absolute Frankensteinian monster in terms of its pathetic effect on the American government, the NLRB. It's a disgrace to American government. We abide by all rules and regulations of the NLRB. I have to say that every time because literally one time I made a joke and they sent us a threat letter. This is what they do for a living. They just threaten businesses that are not in violation of the law. Workers, according to Politico, armed with the power of a tight labor market and at times angered by how employers treated them during the pandemic, have organized with new energy from Hollywood to UPS to Starbucks. There's only one problem. The money ain't there to go around. 
You can pretend it is, but it ain't. Who believes this? Who actually buys that load of horse shit? See, this shill says that because his advertisers and funders want him to. But everybody knows that it's intuitively and demonstrably untrue. Income and wealth inequality is one of the biggest issues of our generation. And CEOs are getting paid tens of millions of dollars every single year, buying mansions, buying yachts, buying politicians. But Ben Shapiro has the audacity to claim that the money just ain't there. Well, for some reason, it's there when it comes to stock buybacks and the salaries of CEOs and bonuses for CEOs. But when workers ask for a reasonable raise, well, the money just isn't there, according to Ben Shapiro. I mean, why would you listen to him? To listen to Ben Shapiro if you are a working class citizen, means that you are willingly let, letting him gaslight you and lie to you about your own life. It's ridiculous. And this person purports to speak for a large portion of the population. It's just, it's so ridiculous to me. But there is one thing that he's right about, and that is the effect that the NLRB has made uh, or has had on this entire labor movement. And what the NLRB has demonstrated is that even if a president is dealing with a divided Congress and can't pass things that are pro-worker using legislation, all you have to do is appoint someone as the head of the NLRB at the National Labor Relations Board will make a huge, profound difference on the labor movement. We're seeing it right now. It's undeniable. But I mean, remember, at the beginning of this video, I said that there are two types of Republicans, and we've only heard from the vocally anti-labor ones at this point. But there is an increasingly large number of Republicans who know to not be openly antagonistic towards labor because politically that's just not going to do much for them. In fact, it's going to hurt them. As Adam Johnson of Truthout explains, Senator Josh Hawley triumphantly announced in November 2020 that Republicans are a working class party now. That's the future. Senator Tom Cotton has repeatedly heralded the Republican Party as the most likely space for a working class multi-ethnic party to converge. Senator Marco Rubio has been auctioning off this talking point to any credulous or complicit media platform that will give him airtime. Senator Ted Cruz said in 2021 that the most significant political change of the last decade has been that the heart and soul of the Republican Party, we are the working class party now. We are a blue collar party. He continues, but here's the problem. The supposed working class warriors who have been suspiciously silent. Senator Tom Cotton and Senator Ted Cruz haven't mentioned the strike at all. But what about the Republicans who have issued statements on the strike? All of them, quote, support it as an abstract thing in their head, yet they are throwing their backing behind a version of the strike that doesn't exist, and they offer no support for the actual demands of the strikers or the duly elected representatives of the UAW membership. And this is what that looks like. So here's a couple of tweets from Marco Rubio and Josh Hawley. And as you can see, they're pretending like the workers are striking specifically because of Biden's, quote, radical climate agenda, and that's really what's destroying the auto industry and uh, Josh Hawley here is pretending as you can see that the climate mandates are hurting workers and threatening their jobs and that's why they're so angry. So on one hand, you can see that they know it's bad to be openly hostile towards the labor movement. That's not going to help them politically. But the problem is that people are way, way smarter than that. They can see that you're being disingenuous. Now, is it more politically savvy than just saying that the workers should be fired? and that you're pro-union buster? Sure, there's a reason why even the most anti-union governors and Republicans don't say that they're anti-union. They say they support right to work. 
which is a policy that would dismantle unions. It's because they know that Americans, by and large, are pro-labor and pro-union. But the workers themselves are telling you what they want. And even if the CEOs came out and said, oh, it's definitely Biden's climate agenda, that's what's hurting our workers, and we care about our workers. The question there is, well, why would these CEOs not take a pay cut themselves? Why push the cost or the supposed cost of Biden's radical climate policies onto workers, even if you go with their twisted version of what's happening, their mental gymnastics, it still doesn't make sense. There's just no winning for them here. And that's true for Donald Trump as well. He's now signaling support for workers, and a spokesperson for him said that he's on the side of auto workers, and he's he's always stood with the auto workers, and he actually plans to give a speech in Detroit conspicuously during the next GOP debate. Hmm, I wonder if there's any ulterior motives here. But the problem is that it's too late for that. UAW President Sean Fain isn't letting him feign concern for workers, considering the fact that when he was president, he fucked them over. In response, Sean Fain said every fiber of our union is being poured into fighting the billionaire class and an economy that enriches people like Donald Trump at the expense of workers, Fain said in a statement to CNN. We can't keep electing billionaires and millionaires that don't have any understanding what it is like to live paycheck to paycheck and struggle to get by and expecting them to solve the problems of the working class he added. Exactly. And even if Sean Fain didn't humiliate him, the fact that he's not joining the picket line directly and giving his speech there to striking workers tells you everything that you need to know. Why wouldn't he show up? Well, it's because they'd probably heckle him considering he made their lives worse. He made moves to fuck over workers, not help them. So he can pretend that he cares about the workers, but actions speak louder than words. He betted against labor and he lost, and now his pandering just rings hollow, and even he knows that. CBS News explains, when former President Donald Trump visits Detroit next week, he'll be looking to blunt criticisms from a United Auto Workers Union leadership that has said a second term for him would be a disaster for workers. In 2017, the Trump-era board reversed the decision holding employers responsible for labor violations by subcontractors or franchisees. In 2019, the board gave a boost to companies that use contract labor, such as Lyft and Uber by emphasizing entrepreneurial opportunity in determining a worker's employment status, making organizing harder. Mark McManus, president of the Plumbers and Pipefitters Union, said in a statement Tuesday that Trump tried to gut the Labor Relations Board under his administration to undo the safeguards that protect working families. Michigan AFL-CIO President Ron Bieber told the Associated Press in an emailed statement that the board, referring to the NLRB under Trump, was stacked with anti-worker appointees who trampled on collective bargaining rights. The union leaders also point to unfavorable U.S. Supreme Court rulings under a conservative majority that grew during Trump's term. The nation's high court has dealt a number of blows to unions most recently, ruling against unionized drivers who walked off the job with their trucks full of wet cement, allowing a civil suit against them to go forward. In 2018, the court's conservative majority overturned a decades-old pro-union decision involving fees paid by government workers. The justices in 2021 rejected a California regulation giving unions access to farm property so they could organize workers. And we're not even scratching the surface. There's a lot more there. But the point is, Trump went after labor. And when you go after labor, 
there's just no coming back from that. They're not going to let you exploit their strike for political purposes because they can see right through you. They know that you're full of shit. And the labor movement is stronger than it's been in a very long time. And unfortunately for Republicans, this is probably only the beginning because negotiations between airline companies and flight attendants aren't going anywhere. And negotiations between healthcare workers and Kaiser Permanente have also stalled, which means that two more strikes could be imminent. That would add tens of thousands of additional workers to the growing number of workers already on strike. And this momentum is incredibly exciting and it makes me optimistic for the first time in a very long time. But for Republicans, this is going to make them feel even more uncomfortable because they're forced to continue to find ways to spin this as a negative or find a way to signal support without actually addressing the demands or underlying corporate greed that is driving these workers to strike. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it was a smart move for Biden to hype himself up as a pro-union president, even if sometimes he does miss the mark, because he knows at least that this is an issue that is very difficult to obscure or propagandize, and Republicans are certainly going to try, but the problem is that you just can't convince Americans that they're the ones who are getting paid fairly, or they're the ones who are lazy, while their millionaire bosses continue to treat them like shit and exploit them. And that's not me saying that. That's what the polling shows. So Republicans fucked around by siding against unions, and now they're finding out. Want more? Visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube, Means TV, and Facebook. You can also find audio versions of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms. And before you go, consider supporting the show on Patreon or through YouTube memberships. You'll get early access to most videos, invites to monthly live chats with Mike, and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode. There are other ways to support the show. You can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.